Amos eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, you are a majestic God, awesome in all your ways. There's no way can fathom the goodness that you have shown to us, collectively as a, as a group and individually. So we praise you, we thank you, that you are a God who is faithful, you are a God who is powerful, you are a God full of mercy and compassion. We are a God of wisdom. You are only perspective God. We don't have adequate words to praise you for who you are and for what you do. Thank you for this group of believers that you have assembled for your purpose and for your honor. We realize that we do not meet up to what you expect of us. But we are so grateful that we have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who pleads on our behalf. For this reason we are thankful. And we have gathered this morning in obedience to your instruction that we should do so. Especially as we see the evil days draw near. We know we are in tumultuous times. We also understand that underneath are the everlasting arms that sustain us. For this reason, Heavenly Father, we have gathered this morning to study a portion of your word. We recognize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So we do request now that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will open our minds, give us a focus. So we can hear precisely what you want us to hear. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen. Before we get uh, to our lesson, uh, I'll probably repeat this. Uh, maybe next week. I'm sure. It has been, actually on December 21st, I have been here 26 years as a pastor. Um, so we have taught a lot of things and last week I began by saying that gave you two, a date and say if you live without getting the point yes, on Sunday that I would think that maybe I didn't do what I'm supposed to do in these 26 years but thankful a whole lot of you got what my point. My point was very simple. And one of you actually put it to me, which is one of the reasons I'm going to make a comment, a comment or two. My point was exactly that there's no way that I could have in a year and four months known that what I'm going to teach will fall on a, what they call a Christmas day. There's no way I would have known that. And yet, that was the first, as some say, but I'm going to say it wasn't, that's what some told me, that that's the first time that I actually said celebration of Christmas is idolatry. I said, well, maybe that's the first time you're actually connecting it. I have said it many times. I've taught that many times. Now, so, one of the things that I I decided to do is go back to my note 
where I went into detail. What that tells me is that some of you sit here, you don't really hear me. I went into my notes. When I was teaching the book of Luke, and I went into detail. And so, there are two points from that note I want to uh, make because of you know, some comments. In my note, or in Luke, of course at that time I haven't started posting my notes online. I did make this point, and I'm going to read it. I said, throughout the history of this ceremony, there have been many Christian groups, such as the Puritans, who have refused to celebrate this festival. New England Puritans consider Christmas, quote, popish idolatry. And the Massachusetts General Court in 1659 passed an act against its celebration. Although the law was repealed in 1681. That's exactly what I said when I thought that. Then there is something which I also said. That the practices surrounding the whole thing are purely pagan. It has nothing to do with Christ whatsoever. I went through that point. And I say, take for example, Christmas trees decorated with lights and ornaments as part of the festivals are of pagan origin. Tree worship was so common among the Europeans that even after their conversion to Christianity, the practice survived in the Scandinavian customs of decorating the house and born with evergreens at the new year to scare away the devil and of setting up a tree for birds during Christmas time. The remnant of this pagan practice is found in Germany in the form of placing a yellow tree at the entrance or inside the house in the mid-winter holidays. The modern Christmas trees was introduced in England in the early 19th century and was brought to North America in the 17th century by German settlers, where they practiced to uh, hold about 19th century. Now, here's one of the things that I didn't really go into that detail, but this is much I know. If you set out a Christmas tree in your house, you are in complete idolatry. Not only are you in idolatry, you have invited demons into your house, into your home. And when you do that, it can bring all kinds of trouble, including illness. As I'm going to show you, because we're talking about demons this morning. So, of course, uh, the one who has a church, who is in control, because there was a book, the warning out of, of idolatry, I thought we have had the book published before December, uh, this month, somewhere in December, but it never happened. So the Lord who is in control, he knew exactly why. Uh, because in that book, I put uh, the appendix, this note, part of what I just quoted to you from my study in Luke. So here is the thing. As I thought through this, this is one of the things that I want to remind you. I don't know what you think about, but I, I can tell you what I think. 
This is what I think. There is not a day that I wake up and then recognize that I am sent here by God to come and deliver a specific message to this group. There's not one day that I don't think about it. Every morning when I pray, that's one of the first things I thank the Lord before I get my study going. So what that means to me is that I'm under obligation to teach you even things you other pastors will you know, skip through. Now you want to run me off, do that. But I'm not going to mellow down what the Bible teaches. I'm not going to do that. Just get that clear in your mind. That's not going to happen. The only way that happens is if you say, off you go, and I'll be glad to go. Now I want you to be very clear that that's the only way. And there are some things in this 12th chapter of First uh, Corinthians, when I teach it, it will make so many people uncomfortable in this congregation, but I will teach it. So my thing is, is God sent me here. This is the way it is in my mind. He sent me to teach this group. He selected those who are here. Look at how many people here. He selected all that are here. So, my interpretation is, he sent me to do one thing. With two impacts. In other words, either my coming here is a blessing to you, because you listen to what I teach and you live, you live it out. Or it's a cost to you. Because you don't believe what I teach you. And you don't leave it out. Now, how, why would God do that? Why can I say that? Now remember that when the Lord Jesus Christ selected 12 apostles, he included who? Judas Iscariot. What was his purpose? To be the one that betrayed Christ. To prove a point. So that you may be here you hear all this I teach for these 26 years. And it hasn't impacted you one way or the other. What I will conclude is that you may be those who are here. So that you because, not that you are not saved, that you are saved. But when you appear before the judgment seat of Christ, you have nothing. I mean nothing to show for it. Except that you are in heaven. That's it. So if you are in that group, all it means is... Oh, you have had truth that can be used as an evidence against you when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. He said, you have, I sent someone to teach you truth, but you didn't do anything with it. Now, having said that, I want you to be clear. That's the reason I say this is because we humans have this tendency to forget. And I don't forget the reason I'm here. I mean, it's, I, mean I try to be honest with people it's not like uh, when they first called me, one of the members of the board or the selection committee said, well, we're not offering you a job. And I laughed. I said, do you know I'm a tenor professor in the university? Not only that I'm the head of the department. So there's no way I'm going to ever, I'm not looking for a job. It wasn't like somebody's looking for a job. The Lord sent me. And he made it clear to me. Why? And that's why the only thing I told that committee, I said, when I come to the word of God, I do not look at any human being's face when I teach it. I say, if you can handle that, I'll be here. Forget for every other thing. And so I take this very seriously. You may not take it, but I do. 
But of course, I really believe that most of you do, really. I am delighted. I know most of you do. But for the few of you that don't, maybe you hear me clearly. That you are either here to receive a blessing or here to receive a curse. Whichever one, it's up to you how you respond to God's word. Now the reason I go through all this is because I have a love for this congregation. I can understand what the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, I'm jealous of you. I have a love for this congregation and that love means I will not willingly or knowingly leave the truth out so that they will be pleased with me. I won't do that. Because part of love is telling somebody something very painful that will help save them from trouble. So with all that, I now return to review what I told you we'll deal with this morning, which is the doctrine of demons. So, we are still in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22, but I'm going to read just verse, I mean, I read verses 18, 19, and 20. It says, Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that a sacrifice Offer to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything. No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. That, when the apostle wrote that, so you can understand why I started the way I started this morning. I don't want you to participate with demons. Because in as much as if you hurt, it's personal to you. It hurts me, but you don't know that. It does hurt me when any person in this congregation is sick. I feel it in my own way, but you don't know. Only the Lord knows how I feel. So when Paul says, I don't want you to be participants with demons. That's precisely my point in my introduction this morning. Anyway, we ended up our last study by asserting that believers should not expose themselves to demons because of the last clause of verse 20. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Now here is the good thing like in a, a, a local church like ours. I just say, for example, when you put a, up a, a Christmas tree, you invite the demons to your house. You may suffer, you may be sick, you may be all that. You don't know what's going on. So is the rest of the people. But if you haven't told the truth, then you can make some connection between what you had and what's going on in your life. But without the truth, you don't have any way to decide what's going on. So it doesn't mean that a lot of people are not going through a whole lot of things during that, this past uh, month, but we just don't know. But they don't have a way to make engagement of, is this what I'm suffering from? Is this the reason? But they don't know that. So here, we are told, don't want you to be participants with demons. So that's why I promised to review our study in Luke 
that we did beginning at 2006. Now we we dived into detailed study of the doctrine of uh, demons. So I suggest that if you want to review the full doctrine, that you should consult the church website and begin to listen in Luke from lesson 80, lesson number 80. My review will not cover the entire doctrine, but I will review primarily the first two lessons on the subject with occasional addition of information to what we studied then. Again, I suggest you go back and review the entire series on the doctrine of demons, although some of you, that will be the very first time you are hearing the entire doctrine. See, we live in a time of great advances in physical and biological sciences. Engineers and designers are designing all kinds of gadgets which are computerized that make man's life on this planet more pleasurable. In the same breath, the medical sciences are involved in treating diseases using the gene therapy and the DNA analysis that almost brought towards the miraculous. The impact of all these advances in the human uh, is, is that humans then tend to become more arrogant in their abilities to the exclusion of God. Now do you know, or do you notice, that uh, these technological advances have no impact on the moral fiber of humans. There is no advancement in technology that has kept humans from stealing, from lying, committing adultery. If anything, some of the advances promote promiscuity. For example, it is the availability of birth control pills that has led to increased sexual promiscuity among the young people. Now, it, it, is used, it used to be that in the old days, parents were worried about their daughters becoming pregnant outside wedlock. But that has changed because so many parents place their daughters on birth control pills, and so the, to them, they seem not to be concerned about that anymore. Of course, I'm not preaching on sexual immorality. I'm merely pointing out that technological advances, while they help us to live more comfortable, does nothing to help us in our spiritual being. That must come through a person's relationship with Jesus Christ. Furthermore, these advances have led to very few people believing in the supernatural. In fact, in some quarters, the idea of the supernatural is totally discounted, and to them, anyone who believes in it must either be ignorant or still living under ancient beliefs, and therefore still unenlightened. Now, the question of demons fall into this category because of skepticism on part of many, we should ask the question, do demons exist? Now some theologians think that Apostle Paul uh, considered demons, and I quote them, not personal beings, 
but impersonal forces which exerted a powerful influence over unregenerate man. End of quote. Or some of them say that it is a concept of demons within them have become reduced to what they call pockets of power operating where human social uh, walls or value systems still offer them ground and a sway on which to function. End of quote. Now, so these views, though, in, of some of these theological people notwithstanding, our answer to the question, does the demon exist, is absolutely resoundingly yes. There are several ways to demonstrate that demons indeed exist in the world today, as it was in the ancient times. Now, certain activities of both ancient and modern societies point to the existence of demons, whether people accept it or not. There are many forms of crimes that could only be explained by the existence of some power stronger than man. You see, people can commit some of the most heinous crimes without such faith in them. A person kills others, calls them into pieces, and stores them in his closet without being bothered. A woman kills a pregnant woman, cuts open the womb and takes out the child. A woman becomes pregnant, gives birth to a child, and offers that child to be sacrificed at some altar in the name of worshipping a God. Now I mentioned these three illustrations as seen as crimes, but there are many more. So it is impossible to look at these illustrations objectively and not conclude that for a human being to do such a thing to another human being, that such a person must be under the influence of a force greater than the individual that controls that person. Now some people explain some of these atrocities as due to the influence of drugs. But most of these heinous crimes involve people who do not even use drugs of any kind. Therefore, we cannot attribute such conduct to drugs or even to alcohol. There can be no doubt in my mind that there can only be really one true uh, rational conclusion that such individuals must be controlled or possessed of a supernatural force. Now this supernatural force must be evil or contrary to God and so should be described as evil spirits or demons. Now historically, that's another way to describe that, historically the belief in demons is one that is found among the ancients. Not too long after the flood, the mankind plunged into idolatry with its resultant demonism. So it is not surprising that the ancient people believed in demons. The land of Canaan was swarmed with demonic activities at a time of the Israelites' conquest of it. Otherwise, it is hard to explain some 
of the immoralities of its inhabitants. It is because these immoralities had to do with the demonism that caused God to give the Israelite instruction recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 10 through 12. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 10 through 12. It reads, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or a spiritist or who consoles the dead. Now anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. Now you see, the practices of the Canaanites involve activities that have to do with demons, such as Sacrificing their sons and the consultation of the dead. Now Israel, in rebellion against the supreme God, copied this practice. Now that's one of those things that, you know, you can, uh, I'll try to uh, make my point when, we, when I talk about idolatry. That the God told Israel, don't copy those surrounding you. Now why Christians are copying pagans, I can understand that. He said, don't copy those surrounding you. This is why, of course, I, these days I think, when I demand read about them, I think about probably the class of Puritan. Because these were the group of people, they knew how easy the enemy can infiltrate Christianity. So they decided, if you cannot show it to me in the scripture, don't practice it. And that's where I am. If you can show it in the scripture, why do it? Because this is one of the things God said, don't copy them. That's before they enter Canaan. He said, don't copy them. That means, throughout the state of the people of God on this planet, they will be surrounded by pagans, those who worship, who are involved in idolatry. And the command is, don't copy them. But unfortunately, we've lost sight of that. So we Christians are copying heathens. Whatever they do, we do. But that's what God told them. So Israel, when they are in rebellion, they will do what God said don't do. And so you can tell that if you're also in rebellion, that's what you will do. Now one of the signs of their rebellion is in Psalm 106 verse 37. Psalms 106, verse 37. Now, here is the thing. I know it's sad for us because we don't say we don't do that, yeah. But we, you know, if you, if you do one thing and you don't do another one, you're still doing the same. You say they sacrifice their sons 
and their daughters to demons. Now you have to think clear. Can you imagine someone telling you to take your child and go put that child, cut the uh, throat on an altar? Can you think about that? Think about doing that. Yet, that's what Israel did. Now, why are they doing that? Demons. Demons. And so, this is why the church is in the way it is today. Because we are living in rebellion against God's word. Now, that aside, in the ancient uh, pagan religions, it is not easy really to draw a clear distinction between the gods and the demons, although a demon was conceived as being less powerful than a god, uh, as well as being good or evil. Now, archaeological discoveries from Sumeria and Babylon indicate belief in demons as evident in the texts that describe exorcism, incantation, and spells. Now, records concerning the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Chaldeans, and the Romans confirm the same belief in demons. The Greeks were also involved in believing demons. But their involvement is interesting that we should uh, summarize it a little bit. The Greek as a whole had the belief that demons were spirits of the dead that were endowed with supernatural powers. They considered demons as rulers of human destiny that were responsible for misfortune and distress. In other words, demons to them were responsible for all kinds of human suffering. To them, demons then were present in unusual places, such as shadowy places at terrifying events in nature and human life, but that they could be appeased, controlled, or warded off by magical acts. That's what they believe. Now, this popular belief, notwithstanding, those among the Greeks that considered themselves enlightened had a different view. Therefore, the Greek philosophers gave a different interpretation to demons. They viewed them as representing divine force that were in part responsible for protecting man's life or as some portion of a man's life. Therefore, it is not surprising that the Greek word translated demons were used to describe the gods. Now the Stoics, philosophers, use the same Greek word as a term for, quote, divinely related element in man. Hence, some of them use it as a reference to the mind as the divine part in man. And others use it in the sense of conscience. Now the point is that understanding of the concept of demons kept changing among the ancient people. But they believed in demons. Now it is not only ancient people that believed in demons. 
This belief exists even in, in more recent times among the Chinese, Indians, Africans, and the Islanders. Now this belief is still found among uh, some in North and South America, although in various forms. Now there are occurrences in modern times that clearly indicate that there are uh, the demons are present in the world we live today. Now there are many documented cases of demonic activities in the world today, in China, both in China, Africa, and Europe. We will, of course, I'm going to be reading an entire passage from a book to show you what I'm, I just said. Now, finally, though, the greatest support for the belief in demons is the Bible. That's the greatest support. Now we concede that the Bible does not say anything concerning the origins of demons. Now in Jewish non-biblical texts, the origin of demons is attributed to the events of some angels cohabiting with women narrated in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Now, in this Jewish text, it is believed that when a Nephilim, and when a Nephilim was killed, is this, uh, this uh, embodied spirit was considered a demon that roamed the earth harassing humans. The Bible simply asserts the existence of Satan and evil spirits or demons. It is also the Bible that declares, or indicates to us, that the view of deifying demons is wrong. Although, it confirms the idea of viewing demons as being associated with something sinister or horrible. The reality then, is that without God's revelation, it's impossible to truly understand the nature of demons. It is therefore not surprising that even in the modern time, there is little understanding of demons outside those who accept the Bible as the word of God. Now, like I said to you, if the Lord doesn't come back, and I'm, I'm, and I'm breathing by tomorrow, and I'm here when I get to the passage, I'm going to show you something in the Bible that will make you know whether you actually believe the Bible or not. It's one thing to say you believe the Bible. But when it really comes down to it, you find out whether you do. We're going to see that at the right time anyway. So even among those who accept the Bible as the word of God, there is little understanding of demons. Very little understanding. Because some say, we don't teach it. Now you remember when I came back uh, uh, from one of my trip last year, I think last year or the one before, and I, I read you something they said. Once I start talking about demons, all kinds of things start happening. You remember that? I think some of you will. And so maybe some say, why don't we don't want to go here? Because it's just, what do you say, spooky, or whatever they say. But we go there because of that's what the Bible says. Anyway, for those, I mean, there are those who assume though that demons that were very active 
in time of Jesus Christ and the apostles are no longer in the world. That's what some of them say. Of course, such thinking is incorrect because there is no indication in the Bible that the demons have been removed from this planet. Nothing has happened like the flood since the time of Christ. Well, after the flood, I mean, the flood brought some judgment. But since that time, we haven't had anything close to that. So that, where did the demons present in the time of Christ? Where did they go? They disappeared? I don't think so. I know this, but they didn't disappear. So, those people at the present time that do not take the concept of demons seriously, in my judgment, are in pure self-deception. If you think they don't exist, you are deceiving yourself. That's what I'm saying. Demons are real, so we're going to do a little more diving into it. So the thing is, we need to look at the identity a little bit. So who are the demons? Who are they? The truth is that the Bible does not give an explicit definition of them. Instead, their existence is assumed without explanation of their origin, as we have stated uh, previously. The very first mention of the word demon in the Bible is in connection, as you will guess, with idolatry. Idolatry. In other words, the Bible presents demons as being as beings that distort the worship or, or the true worship of God. And so they become object of man's worship. In contrast to the supreme God, the creator, that should be worshipped, as we can get up from Deuteronomy chapter thirty two, verse seventeen. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 17. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 17 reads, They sacrifice to demons which are not God. Gods they had not known. Gods that recently appeared. Gods your fathers did not fear. So in any event, it is true that there is no direct statement in the Bible that defines demons or that provides information as to how they came into existence. But their description presented in the Bible allows us to understand them as created beings of God. The most we can say about them is that they are the same beings described as evil spirits in the Bible. The Bible is clear that demons are the same as evil spirits. This much we know. Let me illustrate that. A good illustration of this truth is found in the Gospel of Mark. A man is introduced as having evil spirit in Mark chapter 5 verse 2. Mark chapter 5 verse 2. Mark chapter 5 verse 2 reads, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. 
Now when this see, when this man with evil spirit came to Jesus, the evil spirit in him was driven out. Later, Mark described the same person as one who was formerly possessed of demons. Look at verse eight, uh, verse eighteen of the same Mark chapter five. Look at verse eighteen. Verse 18 says, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Hence, there is then the clear, uh, understand the clear example, that demons are the same as evil spirits. So that wherever we see the terms demons, we should think of evil spirits. Now demons then are fallen angels or gods who are other than the chief fallen angel called Satan. Now the demons that are in operation in the world today are those then fallen angels or fallen gods who did not participate in the corruption of the humankind that led to the flood judgment of Genesis chapter 6. Now we say this because the fallen angels in, in the attempt to corrupt the human nature so that Christ will not come into the planet are all now in prison waiting for their final judgment according to Jude 6. Jude is one, one chapter alone so Jude 6 means verse 6. Jude 6. Jude 6 reads, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So the angels who abandoned their home, we believe are the fallen angels involved in the events of cohabitation between angels or sons of God and women described in Genesis chapter 6. Now since these fallen angels are now in prison we then deduce that all other fallen angels who are uh, described as evil spirits that are free at the present time are the same as demons. Thus the term demon describes any fallen angel except Satan that is free at the present time. There are creatures, these demons, they are creatures of God, for unless they were, God will not use them under certain conditions. Now as it stands, because they are creatures of God, He uses them to carry out judgment against individuals or nations. It is for this reason that evil spirit was used in the judgment of Abimelech as described in Georges chapter 9 verses 22 to 24. Georges chapter 9 verses 22 through 24. Judges chapter 9 Verses 22 through 24. It is after Abimelech 
had governed Israel three years. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing is, see, God picks up the right time for judgment. He's governed for three years. God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem, who acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jerubbabel, 70 uh, sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem who had helped him murder his brother. So it took three years. God rendered his judgment. Now demons are then the supernatural beings that the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul described as authorities, powers, and forces. Most of them. As we read in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. Ephesians Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. It is for our struggle it's not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, so demons are also de- described as deceiving spirits in First Timothy chapter four, verse one. First Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 reads, The Spirit clearly says that in the later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, and the things taught by demons. So anyway, we should recognize that demons are also described using other terms such as evil spirits, deceiving spirits, authorities, powers, and evil spiritual forces. So, having said that, we need to talk just a little bit about the activities. Now, although the Bible does not furnish us with detailed descriptions about the nature of demons or evil spirits, or even details of how they function, nevertheless, we are provided enough information to identify at least five of the many possible activities. Now before we consider these activities, it is uh, important to remember that the term demon is interchangeable then with the word spirit or evil spirit. So that wherever this phrase evil spirit occurs, it should be clear that demons are in view. With that in mind, a first activity of demons is to sponsor false prophecy. It's for this reason that all the prophets Ahab consulted before going to war gave him false hope of victory. The behind the scenes actions that led to the false uh, hope given to him is uh, they are described in First Kings chapter twenty-two, verses twenty through twenty-three. First Kings chapter twenty-two, 
verses 22 23. It is, and the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Remoth Gilead and going to his death? Going to his idea. One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means? The Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Uh, prophets. He said, You will succeed in enticing him. Said the Lord, Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. So it would seem here that the lying spirit is a demon. Since lying is contrary to God's will, so a spirit that lies or sponsors lies must be an evil spirit. Now as we have stated, God uses the evil spirits for judgment. So it should not surprise us then that God permitted the lying spirit to sponsor false prophecy with respect to Ahab because God had decreed that Ahab would be killed in the battlefield. Now for all their being the judgment for all the atrocities he had committed in Israel. So to understand this phenomenon of lying spirits we have to remember that God uses anything in creation that he chooses to bring about his purpose. As we can gather or imply in Psalm 76 verse 10. Psalm, Psalm 76 verse 10. Psalm 76 verse 10 reads, Surely your wrath against men brings you praise, and the survivors of your wrath are restrained. Really, a more literal translation is that given in the New American Standard Bible that reads this way, For the wrath of man shall praise you with a remnant of wrath, you will guard yourself. So, whatever it is, no matter what it is, God can use it for his own glory. So in any event, the very existence then of false prophets is an indication that there are evil spirits since the elect angels could not sponsor lies. It's because demons sponsor falsehood that God can uh, give information that is tantamount to a litmus test for true prophets of God as recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 21 through 22. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 21 through 22. And hold on to Deuteronomy. It is, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. 
That prophet has spoken uh, presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Of course, it's, it's not whether really what a prophet uh, says uh, comes true that is used to ensure that demons are not behind uh, that prophecy. That's not the only thing. But, that's also the criterion of the content of the message. So if it leads away from the worship of uh, God, then that prophet is under demons, for demons will love to be worshipped. Hence, another criterion the Lord gave Israel for evaluating false prophets is given in that Deuteronomy. Look at chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It is, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign of wonder, and if the sign of wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to their words of that, uh, to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. So then if demons were not capable of causing false prophecy, there would have been no need for God to give these two criteria of Distinguishing between true and false prophets. So if they can sponsor false prophecy, definitely they can sponsor false teaching. Therefore, a second activity of demons is to sponsor false doctrines. To sponsor false doctrines. It's for this reason that the Apostle Paul warned of the doctrines from demons in a passage we cited only really previously, but only a verse of it, but I'll go back to it and pick up two more verses. And that is First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Sorry, First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It reads, The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and turn stored by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical uh, liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be uh, received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. So demons teach doctrines, not directly, but they sponsor falsehood through those who teach, uh, who at least claim to teach the word. It's for this reason that believers are to be very careful to watch for teachings that do not come, I mean, the teachings that come from those who claim to be Bible teachers 
that actually contradict the Bible with respect to conduct. Now, it just happened that Apostle Paul mentioned two of these teachings that deal with marriage and food. Now, the reality is that demons sponsor false teaching. It's because demons are capable of false doctrine that the Holy Spirit, through Apostle John, also instructs believers to test all those who claim to have the Spirit of God in them. As we read in First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. First John First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It reads, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So the test of whether a person is teaching the uh, doctrine of, from Holy Spirit or from demons is what the person teaches about Jesus Christ. Clearly, anyone who denies the incarnation, no matter what that person teaches, should recognize as a person propagating the doctrine of demons. Now, he remember, some of you remember, one of the arguments I put forth to you is going back to this thing called Christmas. To celebrate, that means you are denying that Jesus Christ is a Jew. That's what you're doing. You deny that. Why? Because no Jew celebrates birthday. That is very clear. I explained that and went through all that. So, when a person rejects the humanity of Christ... That person is a falsehood. Now, a third activity of demons is that of living in the bodies. Now, demons like to uh, live in bodies, whether of humans or animals, although their preference, of course, is human bodies. Now, this is clear from the plea of the demons to be given the permission to go into the bodies of pigs that our Lord drove them out from living in the body of a human being. As in Luke chapter 8, verses 30 through 33. Luke chapter 30, verses, I mean chapter 8, verses 30 through 33. Here it is, and they begged him repeatedly, not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and he heard, uh, and, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into uh, the lake and was drowned. Now, I can, uh, even the same Luke chapter 8, if you go to verse 2 of it, 
you can also see that the demons, they like sharing the bodies of people. So they like, like that. Of course, they're also territorial. Now, a fourth activity of demons is to inflict illnesses as well as cause all kinds of handicap on people. Now, that's one of the reasons when I said, once you set up a Christmas tree, you have invited demons into your house. So if you get sick doing that, as a believer, the first thing you know, you're in idolatry. So this is one of those things. But I mean, people don't, look, people don't think about these things. Because they, you know, people live in a world of, I don't know what world they're living in. They're not making connections. What's going on with me? Not I've taught here, nothing happens in your life without God being, being the one speaking to you. Our problem is to figure out what is he telling us. So, demons can inflict illnesses of all kinds. So, we do see that, I'm just going to uh, give you some examples, but uh, I'm not going to probably read through them. One example is in Luke uh, 11 verse 14, where deafness is attributed to demons. The other one is where a woman was bent over for 18 years that the Lord actually healed. That one is recorded in, in Luke chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. A fifth activity of demons is to cause wars among nations as we may deduce from what the Holy Spirit gave to Apostle John recorded in Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. It reads, Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are spirits of demons, performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. So, evil spirits or demons can cause wars. Now, we, we already saw that. I'm not going to read it over, but in First Kings two, uh, chapter 22, verse 20, when evil spirit moved, uh, they had to go to war. So, we do know that demons have various activities. So, what I've just mentioned is just five. There are a whole lot of activities of demons that cause havoc. But I only mention five for the purpose of this review here. So, that brings me to deal with demon possession. Well, that's why we begin after break.